and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Gene Owens. He is a singer-songwriter. He is the creative force behind the band Faithless Town. And they have a new album coming out, or the second part of an album coming out uh, pretty soon. So how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me today, Courtney. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for being here. So let's start with you have had a, yeah, it's been an interesting journey recently. You had one of your songs banned from YouTube. Welcome to the club. I, I have also been banned from YouTube. I, I'm finding this is not a necessarily bad club to be in, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's kind of yeah. it's, it's kind of like credibility. It's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate thing to uh, commiserate over, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I wear it like a, it's a badge of honor at this point. I think <laughs> those of us have uh, that have been labeled as spreaders of deadly misinformation, especially when it's through art. I mean, that's like to me. I was I was taken aback because the video that youtube pulled and banned was it was just images Mm -hmm. and words set to music you know there was no speeches it it was just for our song do not comply right we did this um this with this animator create this beautiful stop motion animation using photography mainly from the defeat the mandates rallies and Mm -hmm. the uh the a lot of the big protests that were happening in new york city um and there was two photographers that were gracious enough to lend their photos to the video souls of a movement and you can find them on instagram and uh olivia brachio who's a new york-based photographer who's been covering the new york city freedom rallies you know because Mm. the uh the mandates were extremely harsh there you know city workers were 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 fired um they were arresting people for not showing vax passes at like applebee's and times square ridiculous stuff like that Wow. So um, anyway, we put together this beautiful video and then it was up for like two days and YouTube banned it and pulled it. But uh, you can still find it on Odyssey and on Rumble. Do not comply is the name of the song. And what what did they cite as their lovely justification for? Uh, they said, down? yeah, they said that our music video mm-hmm. violated their policies on medical misinformation. Hmm. Your music video violates medical misinformation. Yeah, that that's very interesting. I I would love to know how. Or were you offering medical guidance on your video? Certainly not. Certainly, yeah, you know, it, I it's we were you know it is it it's art and it's, yeah. it's an expression uh, totally. of creativity, and I think we're we're entering really scary territory when uh, big tech. Uh, I mean, YouTube is the second. Uh, largest search engine in the world right and it's owned by the first largest search engine google exactly and so when they're banning you and and determining what art gets to be gets to find an audience through their you know through their search engine uh, that's really scary stuff that's like 1984 level orwellian stuff totally 
Yeah, totally. Where do you think that's going to go? I, I think it's going where uh, everything is just segmenting. You know, I think we see people leaving, you know, the, with the latest news of, of Elon Musk taking over Twitter, right? You have all these uh, kind of blue check leftists, pundits and personalities saying, well, I'm I'm leaving uh, Twitter and I'm going to go off to this other thing. Um, right. And you've had a lot of conservatives or people that have just not towed the, the line of the, the official narrative that have been banned from Twitter and the Instagrams and Facebooks. And so they've gone to things like Gab or Gitter or Truth Social. Right. So um, I think it's kind of going in that direction, you know, but I don't think that's necessarily a good direction because it's just further solidifying people in their echo chambers. You know, it's one thing if we can get on Twitter and people say vile things to each other and they they hash things out or, right. uh, you know, and there's people on all sides of the spectrum. But once there's just like a platform where it's only like these people on this side of the political spectrum and there's this platform, it's only people on this side, uh, you know, it just further isolates us. And so, yeah, and I'm not sure how we combat that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's a huge, huge part of the problem. And I, I don't think that... Uh, Elon is like the the savior that people kind of think that he is. There, there's a meme, and I always reference this, but if I feel like it kind of like emblemizes exactly what I see Elon as, and it's like this one guy who says to Elon, like, "Thank you so much for valuing free speech," and then you see him on the other side, and there's a little bubble over his head, and he goes, "Data," and I totally imagine it in like a Beavis and Butthead kind of voice, like data data you know <laughs> like that that right. that's really what he's after and he yeah. did say that he you know there's a video clip of him talking about wechat and how you know it's just a shame that we have nothing like it in this country and that you know wechat in china basically controls everything and it, it is a conduit for the government to you know execute their social credit system and he's like yeah so and then the other guy says to him so basically you just want to make a twitter like wechat and he's like yeah make twitter wechat but better so okay <laughs> that that's not really the direction i think uh, i mean he's a technocrat so yeah, yeah i i just kind of make it a rule to one be skeptical of anyone with uh billions of dollars and a technocratic agenda you know when somebody starts talking about uh you know inserting wires and electronics into to, into your brain and connect you to the the web uh I start going, I don't know if this guy has has humanity's best interests in mind. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I definitely my antenna is raised. And we look at all of the things that he's involved in, too. I mean, who's the man that wants to merge brains with machines? Right. The, the Neuralink and Neuralink. partnered with Charles Lieber on the Neuralink. Well, the company Neuralink is actually partnered with Charles Lieber, but Charles Lieber has the patent on the Neuralink. Uh, who would that be? That would be Elon Musk, who's got the the Starlink, like the satellites that are connected to 5G and that uh, have, you know, all these uh, very curious kind of uh, implications, if nothing else. I mean, it's telemetry, right? Uh, telemetry. So mm -hmm. there, there's that. And then uh, he's got the PureVac company, right, with all the mRNA technology. That would be Elon Musk once again. Uh, and then what else? I mean, he's got. I know there's so many more, uh, but he's like involved in uh, Boring Company, which is behind mm -hmm. uh, the hydrogen, the hydrogen collider, right? 
yeah, I don't know. He's involved in a lot. And it's well, even just oh. the plan for Twitter of like having the paid subscription and verifying everyone yeah. and having it be like this verified identity. I mean, that is getting us closer into like getting rid of any anonymity on the web and everything being tracked and traced, getting us closer to that. Like you said, the WeChat social credit system where everything is tied to the app, like for people in China and Beijing, it's like that's tied to their their credit score, the real credit score that's tied to their social credit score, that's tied to their bank account, that's yeah. tied to to everything that they have to use it to pay for goods. So, you know, I know like Patrick Wood, who was what to not technocracy mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. is spoken about this, but like, you know, they have such a refined technocratic system that you can jaywalk get a ticket just because the facial recognition camera spotted you and knows that it's it's courtney turner right jaywalking and then once you get home to your apartment you've got a notice from the the landlord saying you can no longer live there because your social credit score has gone down because you're a criminal now because you jaywalked so you have to find a new place to live and the fine for the jaywalking has already been taken out of your bank account and it could all just be automated um and it pretty much is there and I think that's what all these all these technocrats want to push us in that direction, which is terrifying. Terrifying, right? Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. And thank you so much for bringing up that example because that is already happening there. And I think people here are under this, a lot of people, I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people are kind of in this like, you know, bubble where they just don't believe that that's, that's possible, but it's already happening. I mean, mm-hmm. there are people who live their lives that way. And I if, if that happens here, I mean, I think humanity's done because you know that once they can do that here, then they can they can take the agenda further, which I mean, that's certainly not the end of the road of where they want to go. And that that itself is just horrifying. I can't imagine living my life like that. And they're already piloting all the they're, you know, do beta testing that those technologies here in America. I mean, I live in Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a, a town called Peachtree Corners. And mm-hmm. during the last couple of years, they installed uh facial recognition cameras that would they would detect. I don't know if they were full on facial recognition. Well, they had to be because they would detect if somebody wasn't wearing a mask, and they would also detect if people were within six feet of each other. And Peachtree? In Peachtree Corners, uh, in Georgia, next, is that near Peachtree? I um, mean, it's 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 right outside. It's basically like a suburb of Atlanta, Peachtree Corners. Right, right. And, I know because I know Peach. There's Peachtree City, and there's there's a couple. Right? Are they all kind of close? Yeah, to like each everything's other? named yeah. Peachtree. So it gets right, I know. There's like Peachtree Road, Peachtree <laughs> okay. Street. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's Peachtree City, but then uh, which I think is more south of the city. Uh, okay. Peachtree Corners was yeah. the one that was piloting this technology. <gasps> Um, and it was given to them by like some Israeli tech startup company just for free, like just try this out and see if it works. And then their plan was like to expand it throughout the whole city. Um, but that place, like they're on the cutting edge of trying out all those uh, technocratic things like self-driving cars. And right. but, but, you know, it's just an oh, yeah, example Tesla, of how... that was the other one that whoa, who, who has the company that has cars that can turn off remote controlled. Again, Elon Musk, but sorry, go on. It was on, the yeah. biggest one. We forgot. It was the biggest I know. one. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, those things are already happening in our backyards in, in America. They're already testing those technologies, trying to roll them out just with no vote, no city council votes on that. They just, they just implement them. Wow. 
I didn't know that they were testing that in Georgia. That's really scary, especially because people think that Georgia is it. I think people also have this uh, false notion that, you know, you're in a red state, a quote unquote red state. I, I know there's been uh, some some challenges there as well. But, you know, with the runoff elections and whatnot. But, you know, people think that they're safe. And, it, you know, I, I think technocracy is outside of that. I think they they create this uh, dialectical paradigm and the technocracy is the quote unquote solution to the problem between the dialectic of you know, the uh, the left-right paradigm that they've set up. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Well, I think, the, for the most part, when it comes to politics and uh, electoral, the electoral system, I think it's in an illusion of choice. You know, I think that uh, these people, to get to the point where they're on a ballot, especially in a position for governor or senator or right. definitely president, I think these people mm. have already been captured. That's my that's my feeling on it. Yeah. Uh, and well, Carol quickly agrees with you. And he he <laughs> talked about that almost half a century ago. So, yeah, <laughs> I feel like, you know, maybe the last president that wasn't completely captured. Uh, the, I think they blew his brains out in Dallas in broad daylight. Uh, you know, and I think that was an example of like, you know, JFK was this is what happens when you don't follow the script, you know. Well, I would argue that I, I think they, they were captured and I think JFK went kind of rogue. I think that's mm. what happened there. I think that he, you know, he he gave that famous speech about the secret societies and, you know, the, the cabal that runs the world. He essentially outed them. And he's from the, that family, right? He's from those bloodlines. And so he knows from the inside. And I think for him to, he, and he, he was, he was still kind of cryptic, but it was bold enough that they were not having it. That That's my take on it. Well, and people speculate. And I mean, I, they kind of hint at this or show this in that Oliver Stone, JFK movie, mm-hmm. movie that he was JFK was wanted to pull out of Vietnam. He didn't want to escalate things. Right. You right. Know, he saw it as this like fruitless endeavor that was just going to cost, you know, countless American and Vietnamese lives. And so he was going to pull out and the military industrial complex was like, whoa, buddy, we've got millions of dollars to make. We don't care how many people die in the process. um, And we're not going to have you stand in the way of that. Well, there's also and, uh, you know, this is a speculation because I can't find enough evidence to corroborate it. But but I have seen lots of data points that reference this, that uh, they apparently approached him. They, this part is fact. They did approach him about uh, starting FEMA, which you know later was implemented. Uh, and he said, no, that part is fact. But he, that he died not too long after that. And uh, there's a lot of speculation that that was a huge, uh, I'm sure it didn't thrill them that he, he was he was not going along with their plans. So and the, the other thing, too, when you bring up Vietnam is that, you know, so much I mean, we see this with so much war, but uh, they do this wartime research. And I think he was very aware of what was going on with the military industrial complex. And, you know, a lot of Vietnam was uh, about like geoengineering re- research, chemical warfare research that did get weaponized against the people, not, you know, not necessarily what we're in the ways that we're told. Yeah. And a little research into uh, behavioral psychology. I mean, they did some crazy stuff with, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Operation Phoenix, but they did horrendous things in this thing. And a lot of the, this is all like 
been declassified. So it's all of record. Um, but, you know, they would have they'd have U.S. forces carrying out like heinous crimes against humanity where they're killing men, women, and children, making them dig their own graves, then shooting them, burying them, and then like trying to plant markers to make it look like the Viet Cong did it. So they would turn the civilian population against having support for the Viet Cong. Um, but then they also did things where they took had like prisoners of war and they literally put electrodes into their brains and tried to get them to stab each other with knives by sending different electro currents through their brains. Uh, think his name's the guy who wrote Chaos, which is a fantastic book. It's like the CIA. O'Neill. O'Neill, right? Yeah. Is it like Tom O'Neill? Maybe I think it's Tom O'Neill. Yeah. Tom O'Neill. Yeah. He he talks about it in there briefly. But I mean, yeah, they they learned a lot in Vietnam and I think they learned a lot in with the move. I know some people think a lot of the whole counterculture movements in the sixties and seventies was all completely, you know, uh, part of the establishment. Like it was all controlled opposition, but I'm not convinced of that personally. Mm -hmm. I think there were, there were some really genuine organic, um, movements, you know, whether that was the black Panthers or the anti-right or the, um, you know, civil rights movement, the anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the establishment learned they had to co-opt the left. And I think they have now here in 2022 mm-hmm. have significant, have uh, successfully done that. They have captured the left. They have they've sure. taken that and they've weaponized it. And, um, and that's why now those, those hippies of the sixties are now the people calling for censorship. They're oh, calling totally. for people to be deplatformed. They, they, they've been groomed to do so. Absolutely. I mean, well, and it, we talk about the 60s. I mean, this was the 50s. But, you know, Herbert Marcuse's uh, uh, repressive tolerance in 1957 was literally that, that you accept everything from the left and you reject everything from the right. That was literally the definition of repressive tolerance. And that was his manuscript that he wrote in 1957 just prior to that. But it's an interesting observation about the counterculture 60s movement. because There are a lot of declassified documents about uh, they the infiltration and how they created those movements. And w- what I would the, the place where I would agree with you is I think there's organic subsects of that. There's definitely an organic uh, group like people, genuine people who have, uh, you know, who bought into the narrative and who, you know, wanted those things. Maybe they they were what anti-war or whatever whatever it was or they were just part of the drug culture but the an initiation of those movements i mean we have a lot of declassified information to indicate that the cia and uh other aspects of our government were very heavily involved <laughs> oh 100 percent. i mean i think i think if i was going to guess that the, like those things they a lot of them started those movements started organically and then they quickly got infiltrated so by mm. Interesting. You know, by, by the CIA. I mean, right. you um, and they would do. Yeah. And that chaos and O'Brien's um, chaos book, he talks about how they would yeah. they'd have like CIA agents or FBI agents. They kind of work in, in tandem. They like do posing as posing as Black Panthers and that they mm-hmm. would go and they would basically, uh, you know, pretend they would tell like a gang that they, they were doing hit on them. And so they would turn they would create these uh, these tensions and create violence between, you know, the gangs and the Black Panthers. Totally. So, or they would kill a Black Panther, blame it on this gang when it was actually the CIA who did it. And then the Black Panthers would go out for vengeance and then it would create this bloody cycle uh, 
that was all fabricated. It was all made up or, you know, instigated by government agents. Totally. So there's definitely there's total proof of that. There's proof yep. of like they're they were using LSD to. Oh, yeah. Uh, influence people to I mean you know, the grateful playing dead, with mind right they used the grateful dead and uh it was Alan Trist who was the producer of the of the grateful dead right they worked through him his father was Eric Trist who was one of the forerunners of the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations who works you know directly with the, the CIA and they, they work with all of the intelligence agencies actually uh but yeah we know that they the CIA was very heavily involved in using the uh specifically the grateful dead but lots of fans to uh create a drug culture and do beta testing on the masses they wanted to see if they could use it for mind control they found that that uh, it actually didn't work that well <laughs> no 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 they figured out that <laughs> pop music is the way to, to dump people yeah down. exactly when it comes to music they figured out it's uh you know it's whatever horrible mumble rap or taylor swift's coming out sorry to anybody out there who likes that stuff <laughs> My wife's a huge Taylor Swift fan, so I'm oh, like, really? I'm, all, I'm always like mocking her for it. But uh, we have, you know, it all works out. She can laugh <laughs> it off. You don't hold it against her, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just tease her a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I, I think Taylor Swift is definitely a MK Ultra victim. It's so hard to tell. I mean, she's just, I, I just hate that she's, um, she's promoted as this empowered woman that like uh you know just she can get up with a guitar and write this amazing song and it, it and uh she's just this simple woman you know when the reality is like she's the daughter of in a, like one of the richest men in Pennsylvania uh you know she got like a brand new BMW for is like her first car when she was 16 they yeah. her father and family has probably spent know hundreds of thousands of dollars if not millions to get her to the place where she is now and now she's just like a corporate machine yep and i i just don't think you're a songwriter if you need like five or six people to write a song like i don't know what six people six to ten people do when they're writing a song because if somebody plays tambourine on your song they're not writing anything they're just playing tambourine so if you need if you have six or seven co-writers i'm just really because... skeptical can you write a song i don't know Wow. So this is fascinating to me because the the messaging around her is that she's this prod prodigy and she does everything herself and that really like everybody else is just a, a poor peon, like a cog in her machine. I mean, that's the right. narrative that we're sold. So I had no idea. She has six people writing. I mean, I personally do think she's an MK Ultra victim or that type of uh, I, I really do think that there's a lot of uh, programming on her. Um, and I think there's a lot of evidence to indicate that, but I had no idea that she had six people writing a song. How do you have six people? What, what do you take? Like, we'll, we'll write the chorus. And then this person writes like the, these two lines. I, I don't get it. How does that and, work? And, yeah. And my thing is there's great, there's been, there's a long history in music of like fantastic performers and singers. I mean, Elvis didn't write any of his own music. Sure, I think Elvis course, had yeah. songwriting credits on, I mean, he had songwriting credits because Colonel Parker was like a really shrewd businessman. He made sure that like Elvis had like a songwriting royalty on almost everything, but he didn't sure. write any of those songs. Songs. I think he wrote like in the ghetto and that was it out of his entire catalog. Right. Um, but he was an amazing performer of and a course. great singer. Uh, Aretha Franklin, you know, amazing voice. She didn't, you know, she didn't need the temptations. They, they had great songwriters. 
So yeah. I think being a, like a great songwriter and performer has always been kind of a rarity. So there's nothing wrong with somebody that goes up there and they they sing I, other people's works. That I'm to, that's totally cool. I just I yeah, I, my problem is that they kind of they try to promote Taylor Swift as this like you know made yeah. you know she she does everything. She can just get up with a guitar and write these amazing songs. And it's not that if you look at the the track the credits on any of her albums, it's like there's at least you know, three to five songwriters on it. And it's like big name guys. It's either like some Swedish dude or, you know, it's the guy from Bleachers and Fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Wow. That is really interesting. Yeah. Because that is not the, that's not what we're told. You know, we're, right. yeah. If that's, yeah. So that's very, very interesting that she's really has a probably very little involvement in it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think when you get to that level, it's like you're just kind of the face of this machine. You know, you just mm-hmm. get out there and they you got to go do the thing. And yeah. every, everything else is like, you know, somebody else is doing it. Somebody's writing the copy for you and you're just getting out there and you, you're you're singing and dancing. Yeah, well, you're a product, right? Essentially. So they they just package you and uh, ship you off on in front of the, the crowd. Right. Yeah. And and those people, you know, as we saw the last two years, they just went full on with the agenda. You know, you you yeah. saw almost every large major musician just go full on like the Foo Fighters playing vaxxed only uh, concerts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, so many comedians. It, it, it was really disheartening, especially in music, because I've always felt that like we were supposed to be the rebels, like we're supposed to be the. um you know, the checks and balances in culture, right. like when government becomes oppressive, it's the artist role and it's rock and rollers and punk rockers mm-hmm. role to buck the system. Right. And instead it went the opposite way where like all these punk and rock artists were like, get your jab and wear your mask and shelter in place or you're a grandma killer. I mean, you literally had Mick Jagger and Dave Grohl writing a song to mock uh, conspiracy theorists that, you know, were yeah. questioning uh, why everybody was under house arrest indiscriminately for a cold. Yeah. I said what I said. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, do you have thoughts on why that is? I, I mean, I, I definitely do, but I'm curious if you do. I think, you know, I think it's one, there's, there's true believers. There's people that just bought into it and sure. they're, you know, they're going to go along with it. You're always going to have that. Yeah. Right. There's the people that really believed you got to get this thing and you got to do everything the government tells you to save grandma. And that's like the the neighborly decent thing to do. And they bought it wholeheartedly. Sure. Um, which is odd because a lot of those people would have been like very supposedly anti-establishment before and would have been skeptical of the government yeah. um, and big pharma. Right. Um. So there's the people that were just, I think, bought into it because they were controlled out of a place. They were manipulated while they're in a state of fear. But then I think there's also the people that, like we're saying about Taylor Swift, you get to a level you're so big, it's like you're just, you've surrendered so much control. Yeah. You know, like you need all these other people to write your songs and produce your music and distribute your your music and make your music videos and plan your tours and Coca-Cola is sponsoring this and you have all these corporate sponsors. You're you're beholden to that. I think it's the same thing that in, in some respects, Similar uh, with like politicians, you just get you get compromised little by little until you're fully captured. And 
And then those people are too afraid to go to go rogue. And they're too afraid to lose it, even though they would they're the ones that are kind of in a position where, you know, if you're already worth a couple million dollars, what if what so what if you lose your booking agent mm-hmm. or you lose a tour? You've got millions of dollars, right? Right. But you you never know what other leverage they have on them. And yeah, that's true. And I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think at some point it's not just fiscal. And even even when it is fiscal, you know, there there might be some uh you know, complicated kind of leverage that they have fiscally as well. Yeah. Maybe it's like, you know, it's like Scientology where they get them to, they do the audits and they tell them all their deepest, darkest secrets and they record everything. So it's like, if you ever want to leave, uh, yeah, you ever want to leave, we'll, we'll let everybody know about you, Tom Cruise and what you really like to do. Yeah. Yeah. It may, um, there could be definitely an element of that. Yeah. I, I, I suspect that there, there definitely is an element of that. I don't know if it's that, specifically but you know some element of kind of uh leveraging control and that is a little bit darker it it does seem yeah it's just we also just learned that people just are afraid to be the sole voice speaking out because very early on you just saw the flack that people would get whether it was a doctor i mean they they they've canceled jake i mean they've come for jk rowling you know what I mean? The woman yeah. that wrote Harry Potter, she's not allowed to be on the 20th anniversary or whatever special. Like they literally did that special without inviting her. She wasn't allowed to be there. Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? And and this is the last they eat their own. Right? They eat they their do. own. I mean, she, she should check every box, right? She's that is this is literally a self-made woman who was writing those books while she was a single mother, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, work in a full time job and and did that and was able to become such a success. And because she believes in, you know, biology, she they, they can cancel her. They can get they, they can cancel. Her. They can cancel MIA. You know, they can come go after her. nobody is um nobody's within their reach or untouchable. But I, I just think people need to stop caring what others think about them. And mm-hmm. if you lose your corporate sponsors, live for like how you're able to sleep at night. You know, you can have a bed full of money, a bank full of money. Rich people, the richest people I've known have been some of the most miserable people that I've ever known. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. But definitely, yeah, live by uh, your conscience. What, what, you know, when you go to sleep at night, what, what have you made yourself happy? Yeah, I think that's a really good rule. Sure. So tell me a little bit about your coming up album. Absolutely. Uh, so in April of this year, we put out an album called Into the Light Volume One. And uh, on that was the song Do Not Comply that mm-hmm. has been banned from YouTube. It also has a song called Live Free. We did a, yeah. a video that was a compilation of all the massive freedom rallies that took place mm-hmm. all over the world. But mainly it was uh, footage of the European ones that um, the filmmakers at over at Oracle Films were gracious enough to let us use. Mm-hmm. We also did a our first animated video. It was a two D animated video called uh, "What I'm Dreaming Of," and it's really my like my modern day call for unity and peace, calling for like to see through the uh, the two party illusion, right. the left right paradigm, to realize that that we have more in common than we have different, and and see each other as humans again, and stop allowing ourselves to be manipulated and pitted against each other. Yeah. By the media, by politicians, by, you know, a 
global elites like uh, mm-hmm. like the WEF and the Klaus Schwab's of the world stop letting ourselves be divided by the, these people. Yep. That's their MO, divide and conquer. Yeah. So and basically that was the first part of a two-part album. And for me it was like um uh, a full LP, but I did in two parts. So the the volume one was side A and it's got the big rock songs mm-hmm. and side B is coming out in March. And that's going to be more of the stripped down acoustic numbers. And it's really the, the second album that's coming out is where the first half was mo- me looking at, at the world outside and commenting on these things like right. these insane COVID mandates and the lockdowns and these injections and this government overreach and and speaking to that sure and speaking to the all the division um i mean i think i put out what i'm dreaming of while you know the most cities most american cities were burning in the blm riots the second side of the album that's going to come out in march uh into the light volume two is much more personal i got married last year so it's like congratulations Thank you so much. And you just got engaged recently. I did. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations right back at you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So, uh, yeah, it's this second album is much more personal and it's much more emotional. Uh, The last couple of years, I lost some people very close to me. And, uh, you know, there's songs about, you know, saying goodbye to those people and uh, trying to tell them how much they meant to me wherever they are now. Hopefully they'll they'll get that message. Yeah. In, in fact, the last song that's going to be on this this record coming out in March is called "Tears Rolling Down." And uh, a lady, her name was Ellen. She was our number one fan, number one fan of Faithless Town. She yeah. she saw us, discovered us once. We played some charity show, benefit show in Atlanta, and okay. she fell in love with us. And ever since then, Aww. she would follow us around everywhere. If we played in Nashville, she'd drive from Atlanta to Nashville. There's hundreds of videos of us playing up up on YouTube that she posted. And she was just the sweetest soul and almost became really was like a surrogate mother to me. And she passed away during all this insanity of the past couple of years. Not that that song really, uh, you know, it's dedicated to her. And even as she was passing, she listened to that song. She listened to it like an early demo version of that song. So it's just really special to me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like the first side it, it, it covers all this ground, this all this all this political stuff, and then uh, and what all that means, and what that means for the human spirit and the soul, and then then there's these much more emotional, personal, introverted songs that are part of the second side of the album, and I I think hopefully it'll all go together as one cohesive piece. Uh, but that will all be out in March. We're gonna do volume two digitally, and then put out a CD, the limited CD that has both sides compiled into one piece. Interesting. So what made you decide to do it as a two part, but still one album like it, the, the way you're describing it? It's still part of one, but it's it's two parts. So, yeah. Can yeah. you explain that a little? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, um, well, one are being an independent artist are the financial restraints. Of yeah. It, right? I was going to so ask about that. Yeah. We have crowdfunded in the past. We've done like Indiegogo and Kickstarter campaigns. And we've done some successful ones. So uh, we did one that financed our first full-length album, American Refugee, I think back in 2012. It seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there's the financial restraints. It's I have a very high quality uh, or high standard of when I of music, of like I'm an audiophile. I, I have a giant music 
catalog. It's on, you can't see it right now, but it's on both sides of my desk here. Okay. And it's all alphabetized. I've got like thousands of albums and it's all categorized by, you know, alphabetized and then by chronological release date. But I just have a real high standard of, uh, of what I want music to sound like. So I want to, you know, mm. work with people that are really good at getting those sounds. Yeah. And it takes a while to get that right. And, and it sure. costs money and costs money. You know, we get our stuff mastered with some of the, the best mastering, the, one of the best mastering engineers in, in the country who does, you know, he's doing Liam Gallagher albums and, you know, it, it Black Keys albums and stuff like that. So we want to work with that level of talent and to do it right. Yeah, it's expensive. So it takes a while to finance that and fund sure. for that and play shows and sell merch to make that happen. So that was one part of it. Right. And then the second part was like, it's just easier to kind of look in a world where people now digest music, consume music as like singles and like little, yeah. like everyone's attention, the, the span is so short now that um, it's easier to kind of do like little singles and like little, like here's seven songs and digest this. And then we'll be back in a little bit longer and in a little bit with five more songs. Right. So that's another element of it. it. It's, it's easier to do. And since I'm not a big machine, I'm not, Taylor Swift. I'm not sponsored by Coca-Cola or <laughs> Vax the Nation or whatever. Uh, I have to, you know, we're doing our own promoting. We're doing our own social media management. So it's just, it's sure. easier when you to segment it like that. So, yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I understand. Um, but I'm curious, why not just make two albums then? Like two smaller albums, right? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I guess in a sense, they kind of are, I think they by themselves, they will, they'll be, they can exist uh, within themselves without the other sure, half. But I other. think when you put it all together, it'll make sense as like one full okay. LP. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm trying to find an example together. of that, you know, it's like certain books, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like Stephen King was putting out, I think the Green Mile and like little novellas, like you get just yeah. like a couple chapters and you have to wait and get the other chapters. So it's kind of like okay. that maybe. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like it. So you, you were talking about one, uh, in a crowdfunding that you did back in 2012, which yeah, it does feel like a lifetime ago. Uh, but, uh, I'm curious that you've been in the music industry for a long time and it's really changed, right? The technology, the whole medium of distribution, can you talk a little bit about what that's been like for you? Yeah, people don't buy records anymore right. for the most part, which is uh, kind of sucks. You know, I think it, it in a lot of ways, music has been devalued when people realize they could get it for free. I think it started with all the Napster stuff. Napster. You know, and at the time, you know, I, I remember when, you know, Metallica was going in before the Senate and they were saying, we have to stop this. And everyone kind of laughed at them and yep. thought, oh, these guys are millionaires. What do they need? Like another gold-plated bar or a private jet. But, you know, in hindsight, they were right. Like it was going to be the, it was going to completely alter the the landscape and what it means to be a musician, what success means totally. uh, to be a musician. And that's why you see, you see these old legacy acts like still touring. It's because they don't sell records anymore. I mean, you could have been a band like, you know, like Led Zeppelin was still charting and selling records even long after they stopped touring. But people oh. aren't buying albums anymore. Right. Like, I don't know what you would need to be on, like, the billboard, but it's definitely not what you would have needed to sell in, like, the 90s. Like, if you, if you sold, like, 50,000 physical copies of something, 
I'm pretty sure you're going to be really high on the billboard charts. Where right. in the past, you would have had to sell millions, millions to be like up there with Michael Jackson Thriller of that week or Nirvana, never mind. Now it's like if you sell 50,000 physical copies of an album, whew, you were you're king. You're doing good. I, Yeah, sure. Um, So that's the way that's a big thing, how it's changed. Uh, and then, you know, the streaming giants like Spotify, they give such a small share of the royalties uh, of their, their revenue. They share they share such a small percentage of that with oh, artists. I didn't know that. Okay. Yes, yeah, so you you need so many. I forget the exact number, but it's something ridiculous. But it's like you need like thousands of of streams to even just make a you know a dollar. It wow. like every stream is like a a seventh of a cent or less than that. Or so you know I've known people that have had ten million streams of their song, and it's like for a band of five people it didn't really change their life much. Like 10 million sounds amazing. And that to a lot of people that looks like success, but to them, they're still bartending down the street at the corner bar. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting to think about, to conceptualize what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll even find like people that you think are like, well, they're big and they're playing, you know, they'll play tours that are packed out and they're playing these mid-sized places and then kind of find out like, Oh, like when they're not on tour, like they have day jobs. <laughs> It's very, right. it's very demoralizing in some respect. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, at this point, if you're not one of those big corporate machines and, yeah. you're, and you're not left over from the old industry, you're not the Rolling Stones and you're not a Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. uh, then you do it because you love it and you have something that you feel that you, you need to share with the world and say, and I know that's why I do it. Yeah. And I feel like it's why I'm here on one of the reasons I'm here on this planet is to make music and, and to connect with people through that and use mm -hmm. my voice and, and use my abilities to um, tell stories and uh, emote things and uh, communicate things that no one else is doing in, in the way that I can. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally believe that. I think that we all, you know, we're all endowed with unique gifts and it's incumbent upon each of us to discover those hone them and harness them so that we can be a contribution to others so yeah absolutely so what what are some things that need to be done in order to to make a living as a, a musician now that are different than maybe perhaps in the past you, you had talked a little bit about like touring right some of these big names are not just sitting back collecting royalties now they're out on the road so. Yeah, I think you gotta you gotta play live. You gotta tour as much as you can. That's hard on a on a large scale, right? Because you gotta, especially as um, you know, and that's another reason why I think a lot of people don't didn't want to speak out against things over the last mm -hmm. couple of years and against against the mandates and against the the government overreach, because it's so easy to lose. Uh, you know, if you find yourself on the wrong side of the narrative especially with the music industry, like um, mm. it, that leans so hard left and, and team blue and team blue have become very authoritarian. They've yeah. been become the, the censorious ones, which has been very odd. Right. When like, I feel like when we were growing up, it was like the evangelical right. That was like protesting in front of Marilyn Manson shows and stuff. And they're like, <laughs> shut them down. And, you know, uh, or like back in the day where they're burning Beatles albums. Cause John Lennon said they were as big as Jesus. Uh, but now it's the left trying to cancel people. And you have yep. somebody like Ariel Pink that was seen at the rally in January 6th 
just somebody took a photo of him. And then the next day he loses his record label, his record deal. He loses his, his booking agent. He loses his manager. No, no interview, no talk about it. No discussion. You're just done. You're out. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it makes it a lot easier, I think, for artists to be controlled because the way the system is like you have sure. to, there's like these certain booking agents, there's certain venues that you have to play with, yep. play ball with to make that money on, a, mm -hmm. on a certain level. So I, I think the future for people that want to make real art and not be beholden to any interest is like, do it yourself, you know, making your own albums, mm -hmm. um, uh, putting together your own tours, playing non-conventional music venues. Like we, we played one of the first times, the first time we played after everything had, you know, been locked down because most venues here were still shut down or they were requiring ridiculous, you know, they had all this, these ridiculous demands where you had a, a negative COVID test. You had to wear a mask. You had to, who knows, get an anal swab. <laughs> I don't remember all the I just stopped after three of them and I said that's ridiculous and right to do that uh, but we you know we found a, a restaurant uh, on the outskirts of Atlanta that had a big private room and we just threw on our own show with like two other bands that we knew mm -hmm. um, and so if nothing else we can always do that and I think sure. we got to get better at doing that independent artists have to do better be better at doing that and kind of like hopefully there will be more like free speech and um you know contrarian voices and networking that can happen i know you and i have been talking about maybe you know putting together a show that yeah uh, no we and we're, we're still moving forward and i still want sweet. you to perform absolutely um yeah we're still locking down the venue one venue fell through uh and i i've been very transparent uh because I, I think I'd rather be canceled before we start the whole process. And so I've been very transparent that, you know, this is a uh, freedom kind of a uh, oriented artists for liberty, for freedom, uh, a themed event. And uh, so far it, it hasn't been an issue. But I one of the places that I went to look at, they they were having an uh, event and people were going in. They were checking off for you know, papers and they were wearing their, you know, face coverings. And I asked, I said, is this, you know, a requirement for the venue? And the, uh, one of the, I, I guess, managers who was, does event coordinating for them said, no, 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 this is specifically for this event. They wanted this, this is not, you know, us. And I said, okay, cause that, that would be a problem. <laughs> so I said, we, we could end this meeting now if that were the case, but yeah. So but yeah, yeah, I know here there were a lot of venues that were hook, line, sinker, you know, falling right in line with the whole uh, mandate and all those requirements. But that seems to have lessened, you know, there aren't too many doing that now. So that's good. But they yeah, still we... might not like our message. So I, that's why I'm transparent about it, you know, in the, the initial uh, inquiry. <laughs> So, yeah, it's uh, it's made everything just more challenging. Right. You know, like everything we have, you have to get those things off the table because you don't want somebody to come back. Like we were auditioning a new drummer at one point and okay. uh, I said the guy, all of all of our songs and he, you know, he's like, oh, I love, you know, love the music. And, you know, there's elements that are like Britpop, the elements that are grunge, elements of Americana. Love it. Love it. And yeah. then we have like a, a, a date set for like him to audition with us to actually come in and play. And I get a text like a day before and it's like, 
I just, after reading some of your lyrics, I don't feel that I can play with you because your lyrics are very insensitive. And I'm all for freedom of speech, but I, I cannot be associated with some of the things you're espousing. And I'm thinking to myself, insensitive to whom? Like yeah. to uh, to the to corrupt government agencies, to uh, to big pharma. Am I being insensitive to Pfizer? What? How dare I? How dare you? How dare I? Pfizer wasn't too concerned about being insensitive to the lives of uh, so many and uh, the children that they were pushing their products upon. So. Yeah, I I might not have that much sensitivity for them, but <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, it's just like things like that. So now I'm just like, you should r- read the lyrics, make sure you're on board. Some of this is can be controversial. Um, I don't so, know how your lyrics are at all controversial. It's so baffling to me, but okay. Yeah, it's it just people are so afraid of the they're afraid of the cancel culture, you know, and yeah. that's what we 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 need to be at war for is the culture again. Politics are downstream of the culture. Yeah. And we need to win back the culture. We need to make freedom, uh, you know, medical freedom, bodily autonomy, personal choice, freedom of speech. We need to make that those good things again and not these horrible vilified uh, pejoratives that they've become that the left has made them into the modern left. Thank you. I so agree. That's why we're doing this event. That That is exactly why, because I think it is so important to inject into the culture. It is important to have an impact on the culture so that because that's what they do best. They've been infiltrating for, you know, that, that the whole Fabian socialist model is uh, incrementalism. Their initial uh, mascot was actually the, the tortoise, right? They have the wolf and sheep clothing now, but they, they were the tortoise. And it's because they they believe in incrementalism. They know you can't do this all at once and people would reject it. That, but they slowly infiltrate and they know that infiltrating through the culture, this is what Antonio Gramsci talks about, right? You need cultural hegemony. And uh, I don't know if you know about this, but the the meeting that, okay, yeah, uh, Lenin had a meeting with uh, Willie Munzenberg and Antonio Gramsci in 1922. I can't remember if 1922 or 1923. I need to look that up. But it was either 1922 or 1923. And uh, he basically was very concerned because he didn't understand why after the revolution that it didn't spread throughout the West. That's what Marx said would happen. Right. You know, Uh, and it wasn't spreading throughout the West and they were very concerned. Well, Lenin was very concerned and it was Antonio Gramsci who said, because you're treating this uh, like an economic problem and you're approaching this from an economic revolution perspective, revolutionary perspective. And what we need is to infiltrate through the culture because the culture is acting as a bulwark against uh, the the revolution that we'd like to see happen, and uh, that was that was essentially when they started with uh, you know like the Frankfurt School in Germany. Uh, they did go through uh, England, and then they came to the United States, and they started with the academic institutions. They started the Institute for Social Research in uh, Columbia University, and uh, we know where we went from there. But uh, I, I'll I'll leave every spare everybody all the sort of details because that's a big rabbit hole but yeah so i mean it's all about cultural hegemony and i think the right is terrible about it and i don't even think it's at this point it's not really even about the right it's just about people who want personal agency and don't want to be controlled and that needs to be cool again 
<laughs> and yeah. and right now it's not. And for someone to come to you and say, "Oh, I don't think I can play for you because your lyrics are, you know, they're, they're not being sensitive." It's like being sensitive. Yeah, as you said, to who? What? What happened to free will, personal agency? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and you wonder would that same person be say that you know to uh, I don't know would he say that to NWA with you know <laughs> f the police I I mean I don't I don't know would that would that be insensitivity or would that you know be and uh, their material can be a little bit uh, insensitive actually <laughs> yeah so you know it, it's just art should be allowed to say whatever you yeah know, I'm a big proponent for artistic freedom and just for freedom of speech and. The problem is now is you have, like we talked about in the, the beginning of the interview of big tech censoring people, mm -hmm. uh, we're there. The marketplace of ideas is just being shrunk. So everybody is forced into their own echo chambers and we need yeah. to break people out of that. But we also got to do it. I think we got to spend less time on screens and, and more time in the real world. I think that's yeah. when we can actually reach people, you know, like go yeah. out to local shows, go see bands, go to... <laughs> open mic nights, go meet people, yeah. you know, out in the real world and stop just because it's so much easier to hate each other at from a distance through this, through the screens, through the yeah. apps. You don't um, have any way... recourse. I mean, no. in, in the real world, somebody could actually punch your face. You know, I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying that people should do that. Just just clarifying. But I mean, there there is actually a real perceived danger that somebody could retaliate and they could retaliate in a way that is actually physically threatening and whereas on the screen you don't have that you know once upon a time that uh, when i was growing up we had this saying you know sticks and stones may break my bones but words may never harm me and uh now they they seem to have weaponized words and i think it's because they're trying to thrust people into the metaverse and that's what you have in the metaverse you you aren't in any real danger with another human in the metaverse, uh, only only in danger of what their words may uh, make you feel. It's all about you know all the pretty much all the roads of this of the agenda we see playing out. It's it's just pushing us all into isolation. It's just more and more isolation for the human being, yeah. and so that's why things like art and music and festivals and collective yeah. gatherings, yep. funerals. Uh, weddings. I mean, you know, I talked about my friend who passed the past couple of years. We they didn't have a funeral for. Her. It was the peak of the lockdowns. Tragic. You had to have you had to have a Zoom funeral. Oh, you know, the, the, think about all the inhuman things. The inhuman things. Well, at the same time, the this you know the same uh, pundits and politicians and public agency heads that were saying you can't have a funeral for grandma or for your friend. Right. They're also saying. You you should be out there if you're not out there burning down cities right. in the name of of racial justice. Then you know you're you're horrible. So I mean, it's just COVID don't knows when you're acting on behalf of Antifa, and that's okay. But if you're going to you know mourn the death of your grandmother, then that that's absolutely not okay because COVID is going to come and attack you. Obviously, uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a, you know <laughs> it's it's really sound logic. It's like the logic of you know if you 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 have to wear the mask when you're walking through the restaurant. But right. Soon as you sit down at your table, it can't get you if you're down here. If you're at like a five foot six foot level, it's going to get you. It's going to kill you. And then you're you're going to kill every grandma around. Uh, but if you sit down. 
to eat, you're good. You are per you're in a safe bubble. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kept saying that I, I finally understand why it was called the novel coronavirus. And it was because it was the first virus in history that has a GPS in it. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. uh, it could tell time. I mean, that's why they needed curfews. Yeah, it, it was more GPS active at clock. night. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, third. Uh, and people I mean, in California, this. The, the ridiculous things. And now the, the, this, you know, that they just want to forget about it. They want to brush it all under the rug. Well, they want with, amnesty. They want amnesty. Yes, they want amnesty yeah. for what was said when they didn't know because there was misinformation. Mm -hmm. But somehow, I mean, all of us had the same information and we did not buy the narrative. And somehow we were, you know, still able to think outside of the box and perhaps question what was going on but they didn't have enough information and so therefore we have to we need to give them amnesty i think even we, though people we, lost lives and jobs and you know none of that matters but sorry. yeah and you know we're called vile things had death threats uh some people physically altered you know f physically attacked uh, for you're not wearing a mask for mm -hmm. not being compliant yep. to, you know, uh, blindly to authority. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. The amnesty thing, we do need to heal. And yes. people, the people that have cast out family members, the people that would, that barred people from coming in to see their loved ones on their deathbed in hospitals. Yeah. Um, people need to acknowledge and, and face that and take accountability for their heinous actions. The people that fired employees because of their, their choices for their, their own medical, personal health choices. For sure. Um, it, we need accountability before we can move on from any of this. And we need the, we, we need a heartfelt apology is where we begin to heal. And that's what these people need to say. And the problem is we, I can say this to you. You can say mm. it to me. We can say it to the, you know, our friend to Scott and sure. Ryan and and the other folks that we we know and the, the, yeah. our friends. But we can't say it to the people that need to hear it because they've cut us off. They don't want to talk to us. They've you know they don't want to have a discussion with us. And my question here here's a question for you: How yeah. do we reach those people? How do we get back and actually heal with the people that have blindly followed the rules over the past couple of years, followed corrupt authority to the T to the fact where they've pushed people out of their lives. They've hurt people. They've maybe even helped kill people. Yeah. How do we let them, how do we reach them? And how do, will, when will they ever take accountability and apologize? Do you ever think that's going to happen? I, I mean, I mean, individuals are different than a collective, right? So I, uh... I think the answer in terms of mass scale is probably, unfortunately, no. But I, I do think individuals, absolutely, there's hope there. And I think, you know, to reconcile with a specific uh, friends, you know, loved ones, family members. But that to me is one of the most tragic things that happened. I, You know, it's family members not speaking to each other, uh, very close friends, you know, I lost a very, very close friends, you know, over the, the past two years where it just just stopped speaking to me uh, over just difference of opinion, different beliefs, different uh, different perspectives on what's happening. And I mean, I think that's really, really tragic. But it also in some ways was a little bit freeing 
because I think I've spent, you know, I, I've always been, my, my views have changed a little bit over there because I'm, you know, I, I'm more aware of the the two-party paradigm illusion, you know, now. And I, I recognize what's going on with the global elites. And, you know, I I, I, I was aware that there was a, a global agenda, but I don't think I was as aware of how they use the dialectical attacks in order to achieve that as I am now. Uh, but I... I grew up and I was in the entertainment industry and I lived in New York and Santa Monica, like there, I was in a sea of leftists pretty much my whole life. And I've never been a leftist. So, um, so I've always felt like I had to be incredibly uh, compassionate and delicate and diplomatic with whenever I would voice my opinions or I would just be quiet uh, to avoid the conflict. So it's, kind of freeing now to be in a position where I'm no longer doing that, where I can, you know, not to, I don't go out and seek a battle, you know, not in that, in that regard, you know, I'm not intentionally trying to be contentious or intentionally trying to piss anybody off, you know, uh, that for the sake of it. But I, I really think auto critique is a huge part of the problem. It's part of how we got here. It didn't work so well in the Maoist struggle sessions. And I think it's part of what the intention behind cancel culture is. So, sorry, this is I'm so sorry, long winded. What was that? The term you just used. Part of the intention behind uh, cancel culture. Oh, the the word, the it was auto critique or. Oh, okay. Auto critique. Auto critique. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, sure. Yeah. Auto critique. It was a huge part of the Maoist struggle sessions. And uh, I, I think that is that like is auto critique self-censoring? Yeah, essentially yeah. it's self-censoring, okay. but it's where it becomes uh, so ingrained, you know, that it's uh, almost in the it, it's embedded in your process. So it's uh, that. Yeah. The self-censorship is, would be yeah another way to say it. But uh, I, I think that it's in, it's what is intended in cancel culture is to make people want to censor themselves. So they don't even have to do it. Then you know that you do it for them. And I, I think that's a huge part of the problem. And so I don't want to be part of the problem. That was actually what part of why I started the, the podcast. I was like, okay, I can't, you know, if I think that auto critique is a huge component of the problem that I don't want to be part of the problem. So I should start saying, saying what I think. And I, so Again, sorry, it's so long-winded, but I do feel like in that regard, I, I think it is freeing that now people, and I don't think I'm alone in this, I think more people feel like they, because there's so little to lose at this point and because the stakes are so high, that now we should say speak our mind. We should have the difficult conversations. We should not, you know, uh, cower from having discussions about politics, religion, you know, these difficult quote unquote topics that we've been taught it, it's rude and impolite to to broach at a you know family gatherings and gatherings with friends so to answer your question do i think it's possible to bridge the gap i and to uh heal i think it absolutely is possible but i don't think that the answer is through us uh silencing ourselves or you know pretending that things are okay i think we do it by asking questions and asking very difficult, real, honest questions that force people to examine their beliefs, that force people to examine their behaviors while also offering compassion because 
you know, the re- I look at what I knew two years ago and I've learned so much over the past two years. I was in a very different place two years ago. And if I, if I was in a different place two years ago, then there are other people who, you know, we're all at different stages of our information gathering. And I, I have to have compassion even for myself for what I because sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm embarrassed and I'm, you know, ashamed of what I thought, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. And how did I not understand these things or, uh, you know, different kind of things that I'm like, wow, how did I miss that? And so that's so, being human, right? That's exactly. You know, and I think just, that we do yeah. that with others. We have to do it with ourselves and we do it with others. But while simultaneously bringing up very difficult questions as opposed to just shoving facts in people's faces because unfortunately people are emotionally driven and but the questions i think are really important because a lot of times sometimes if they just can't even answer you may not realize but that plants a seed and i think that's the step so sorry that was a really long-winded way of answering no i i think that was excellent and i i i think you are on you're 100 correct we have to keep speaking out and I think that's the only way that we want to hold people accountable for absolutely for the, the heinous behavior over the, the past two years and um, and to not pretend like everything's just OK. And that didn't happen. Right. Um, and also we have to keep speaking out because courage is contagious, you know, and yeah. this each of our voices, I, I feel like. You know, I was very early on speaking out against the lockdowns and mm-hmm. against the the mandates. And I feel like and there were some voices that are very, very early on coming out. And I think mm-hmm. each of us, it played a, an important role because it even though we were <laughs> attacked, like I would get so ratioed on Facebook. Like I had I just deleted my my personal Facebook because I just oh, wow. was tired of like people that I'd you know, worked at some restaurant with 20 years ago telling me they hope I, me and my whole family die of COVID. You know, I was just got tired of like, dude, you know, it's like, I don't want to have this, this negative feeling in my heart for you. And I know right. one day we're going to cross paths again, so we can hash it out then. Um, but like, I just got rid of it. But the the point of that is like, there were other people that would hit me up and like in private messages and say, I totally support you. And thank you for speaking out. Like yep. now it, I experienced that too. It, it annoyed yeah. me because they weren't speaking out. Right. Know? But it's like, like we're publicly saying that, but privately they would be saying it. Yep. But I, I just think every small voice, everybody saying, no, this is not right. This is not right to indiscriminately block people in their homes, to shutter businesses, to mm-hmm. shutter churches, to arrest people for going to the beach, to arrest a, a lone paddle border out in Malibu. This is insanity. And and now that is getting more and more recognized as that. Of course, that is that's reasonable, rational thought. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the those of us that were saying these injections, they're not going to stop transmission. They weren't even tested for that, and mm-hmm. being called conspiracy theorists and spreaders of medical misinformation. And now that's just a fact to to the point where the opposition literally is gaslighting us, saying, "Oh, we never said they would stop transmissions." Like you, a hundred percent did, you liars. You lying scumbags. Yes. And we have to just keep speaking out. There's the power of, you know, speaking truth. Yeah. And it, it's like a snowball effect. And I think, you know, I've read a little bit of into the mass formation and uh, mm-hmm. Matthias Desmond's book, right? Uh, the psychology of totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. But it's we break people out of it and we help to prevent this stuff from happening again by continuing yeah. to be brave and speak out 
and, yeah. and, and it's still, it, it comes with a personal, you know, it comes with sometimes a very high cost. People lose careers. You and I have both lost close friends over disagreements of this. Yeah. Um, but we, we can't stop doing that. And I think that's the only way that, that we're going to turn this ship around. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And thank you for doing that. Yeah. I, I think it's so incredibly important. I'm curious about, because part of the reason you were talking about, like, it's so important to have festivals and have people gather and gather around art, I think in particular, because one of the things that, uh, from my perspective, I think is one of the things we see from the left is they want to destroy beauty um, because it's all about destruction. And if you take away beauty, you don't have aspiration. So you only have a decline, degradation, right? And then that's what they want because that's a breeding ground for chaos once you have uh, destruction. And uh, then it's easier to seize power and control. So I think that art is a, a real bulwark against that. Uh, but I also think people gathering, this is why it's so important uh, to do this event because I want people to congregate in person. I always say that the, uh, you know, the resistance and the, uh, uh, the way to combat their like transhuman agenda is for us to be like radically human. <laughs> and part of being radically human is interacting with other humans and being the social creatures that we are. And also being the, you know, bringing the light, like the, the, the human element of, you know, celebrating and uh, the, there's something because I think music in particular, and I'm really curious to hear your thought because I am not a musician. I have very strong mu musical appreciation and I have zero musical talent zero um but uh but a very strong appreciation for it but i think it really has the power and i probably arguably most art does has the power to really like cellularly impact us in ways that other things don't and i i that that's just so profound to me and to have that experience shared with others is also really powerful which i i think is part of why they infiltrate the culture so yeah. So that again, it was really long winded, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, yeah. I mean, music saved my life. Rock and roll saved my life. I will say that uh, with utmost certainty. You know, it, it got me out of some really dark places uh, in, earlier in my life. And mm -hmm. because it does, like you said, like it can it can change you on a uh, like a physiological mm -hmm. uh, way and a psychological way. It's it, it absolutely can like when you're just playing, like if you feel horribly depressed mm -hmm. and you can play music, just the act of playing, picking up the guitar and playing the guitar and, and feeling the vibrations of the strings and the rhythm of your hands and the fingers on the fretboard or singing, you know, or just dancing, mm -hmm. it can break you out of that, that funk that, you know, that uh biochemical thing that's going on inside you it can shake you out of that and it's a really beautiful powerful thing you know uh and then the uh, you know so that's just on an individual level what you can just do by yourself you know yeah some you know it, it's funny because musicians a lot of musicians tend to be like the most depressed people <laughs> right <laughs> most, right uh like comedians are also some of the most depressed too. yeah absolutely but it's like music kind of is like the, the moments of joy because it brings them it's forcing them physiologically to break out of that oh yeah. ugh, like everything's hopeless and i think exercise does that too dance yeah. does that yeah um so that's on an individual level and then like the collective thing yeah i think it's just something built into 
humanity and and it's like in our genetic code that we need those it's like sacred to us that's why all throughout history there's been festivals you know like the fall festivals the pagan festivals church worship um i mean i hate sports but i think like the role of sports fulfills that for people like being in a crowd and all chanting for the home team and being there with their friends and chanting the chants you know, or at a, at a soccer game or football game or whatever, it's that, that sacred kind of collective thing that's making, taking the one and and connecting us to all the other ones and putting us in this big group. And it's this really powerful, uplifting thing. And yeah, I, I would love, what I would really love to see is somebody that is freedom minded, that has money, you know, mm-hmm. and there, there's some of them out there that are sure, doing amazing things. I think Steve Kirch is doing great stuff. Steve mm-hmm. Kirch just built, uh, he just paid for all these massive billboards all around Atlanta calling out the CDC. Great. I, I don't know if you've seen those, but it's like, he literally yeah. put one across the street from the CDC saying, how many more children have to die before you stop the, these things? Good. And, um, but you know, there's, there's, there's people with a lot of money doing good things. I, I love to see somebody that's freedom minded do a whole music festival tour mm-hmm. bringing people together bring the, and bring the big acts bring the aaron lewis's and the yeah. eric clapton's and the kid rocks and the tom mcdonald's yes. and the faithless town please of and, course. The, and the five times august of the yes. world and that's that's do like a lollapalooza i know that we, that's kind of what we have our you know what we, we, we've been talking about brainstorming yeah. for like yeah. putting on shows and I, my dream is to get kid rock to sing to my performance <laughs> i mean he lives in nashville right he does. Yeah. I have a go. couple of uh, like connections to him. So we'll see. I mean, we'll put it out there, but I hear that he would be very supportive of what we're doing. That's, that's what I've heard. So I, I think so. Yeah. I, I actually have a kid rock story. So okay. this is my only real experience or knowledge of kid rock is okay. that um, when I, I used to live in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and uh, I used to go to this place, Molly Malone's. It's still there. It's on Fairfax. It's this old, like Irish pub. You probably right. know it, right? Because yeah, LA. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I lived in LA for a decade, so yeah. Okay, yeah, me too. Basically, at like two different points, I was like six years, and then like another four years. Okay, but um, go to Molly Malone's, run into all kinds of celebrities. I think one night I, I like drunkenly gave Andy Dick a copy of like my first CD. Oh, wow. I was like, man, you're so funny. Listen to this. Uh, but anyway, there's this this line cook, a uh, fry cook at Molly Malone's, big dude. Uh, I remember his first name was Ty. But anyway, he had this amazing soulful voice. Well, he recorded himself on like a little Tascam four track in his house. And he was back home. He was from Michigan, where Kid Rock is, is from originally, right? And he saw Kid Rock at like some basketball game. And he gave Kid Rock his, his like demo taper CD. Mm-hmm. And... Kid Rock literally listened to it, like didn't didn't just throw it in the trash, literally took it home, listened to it and then called the dude and like signed him and helped this guy like put out a professionally recorded album with in a nice studio and the multi, you know, in Kid Rock studio. Like, and the next thing I saw, like guy, you know, he was touring. He was like doing legit tours. So I think that's my only experience with Kid Rock. And it's like once removed. But from what I know, he does seem to be the legit dude and is, you know, is willing to help those out and help people out that he believes in. And he seems to be for the cause of, uh, you know, truth and and freedom and personal liberty. It seems that way. Yeah. So 
<laughs> so let's get him. If Kid I, Rock, gonna, if you're listening, we yeah, we, if you're listening, we want to book you. Please come perform to my aerial performance. <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, I did a performance to Born Free, and I'm going to do it again. I'm doing it again tomorrow night, and then I think I'm going to keep the same one for January 14th. That's when we're planning for the event. You know, hopefully we'll get the. We should know within the next week we'll have the venue locked up, but that's the date with that we're aiming for. So, and I think I'm going to keep it because I think that just fits the theme born free. Born so, free. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll come and we'll play our song live free. And so exactly. Be... I know. I'm totally thinking that I was like, that'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very well, yeah, cool. I hope it, I'm very excited and count us in if it, it, yeah, we'll be there. Awesome. I look forward to it. So, I have one more question for you about the culture. I'm wondering, so one of the things that I always hear is that the problem is that people who are, I, and I don't even want to say like on the right, although they say this a lot about people on the right, but just people who are outside the mainstream narrative, that they they try to do uh, things in the culture, but that they really suck at it. You know, they're it's very pedantic and it's like, it kind of beats you over the head and uh yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? And how can we be better about doing the messaging and infiltrating the culture, but, you know, in a way that people don't feel is sucky, <laughs> like for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I mean, I think there's people, you know, uh, you know, we, I just, I mentioned Brad from five times August a little while ago. Yeah. I think he's doing a great job of that. You know, his yeah. new album is amazing. It's climbing the charts everywhere. And mm -hmm. um, to me, it, it doesn't sound like it's not right wing messaging or conservative right. messaging. It, it feels like this is, this is like the Dylan Bob, you know, the Bob Dylan of the COVID era. This mm -hmm. is like the modern day protest music um, that is just, coming from the voice of somebody that is extremely talented and it, through that that lens of like that uh you know topical protest music and is doing yeah. it in a really classic way you know it does it feels kind of timeless even though it's talking about things like Fauci and you know uh the injections and Antifa uh, -huh. uh you know it but it feels classic it feels like it it's not too far removed from the times they are changing. So there's people doing it. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a big hip hop or rap fan, but you know, Tom McDonald is He's doing awesome. His, he is. I, yeah. I mean, it's not my like preferred style of music, but sure. you know, I think what he's doing is great. I think the cool, like this, the level of uh, the production value of his work. And if it's really just him and his girlfriend and his like, brother and sister or whatever it's a, incredible like yeah to pull I that agree. off with a skeleton crew is like so cool um so there's a lot of people making great art uh you know joseph arthur who i've connected with mm -hmm. over like this past year yeah i need people. to connect with him yeah you do yeah joseph's yeah. amazing and you know he, he's been putting out a great output it just yeah it's I just don't think, I think we just got to think beyond, you know, like we are saying, it's not about the left, right mm -hmm. uh, illusion, that false dichotomy. It's like, we, we just got to be human. We got to speak to things that are just universal human uh, 
qualities and sentiments and like freedom and and truth and love for one another and empathy yeah. and um and i think that will resonate with people and you know just we just got to connect with people on a human level again and, and we can do that uh without being cheesy i hopefully yeah no i think so too people that are accomplishing accomplishing it for sure yeah no absolutely i i think it's interesting that you say that because i find that a lot of times mostly with film you see this but a lot of times people on the left will do inadvertently they'll do a, a movie that is very uh right-wing messaging in, inadvertently unintentionally and it's only because it was aligned with human nature it was just because it actually was true to human nature and that happened to be well that's kind of right-wing messaging <laughs> and and it was inadvertent because they, they weren't intending it to be that way at all are you thinking about a quiet place just curious the, the movie yeah no i i was really just thinking more in general i think there's okay. so many examples but i don't think i know a quiet place Maybe I should. I think that was the name of it. It was the uh, the John Krasinski, you know, the, the guy who played Jim on The Office. He, I think he he directed it, him and his wife. And it's okay. it's basically just like this story of this post-apocalyptic that the world's taken over by these monsters and oh. they track people with sounds. So everything is like quiet. So like the film is almost like a silent film. Oh, but wow. It's like the messaging of it is kind of like you kind of need a strong male male figure you need a strong father to protect the family when the things are rough you know and you to fend off the monsters and to keep the kids together and and provide for the family like yeah just, yeah and it, it that just that's what i thought of when you were, we were saying oh, that. That's like, so I, I doubt no, I that they set out the to have that kind of messaging but but it's talking about human nature and humans put in that kind of a rugged harsh situation and it's like you need a strong masculine figure to to help you with that you do yeah. yeah absolutely i'll have to check it out no i don't i don't know it but yeah and you're probably right they probably didn't intend for it to be that way and that's but that's yeah I, it probably they made a sequel and they probably try to undo everything they did in the first one because people <laughs> like were accusing them of that and they're like oh we don't need like, that. Oh, no, we, we don't we don't want that. <laughs> here's Charlize Theron in like uh four inch stiletto hills. She's gonna come and just you roundhouse kick all the monsters. Okay. So that is like one of my pet peeves. It is so you there's this whole trend in movies and television, and it's like this tiny little girl, like who's suddenly gonna beat up like and it's not like sometimes she has superpowers, but a lot of times they, they she's just doing like martial arts and she just like magically is able to take on all of these it's usually men who are monsters that are so much bigger than her like please tell me how on earth this is realistic and not to say that women don't have i think women do have great powers for defense and you know certainly if you mess with children women become even physically incredibly strong but it's just so unbelievable and i think it's actually i know they think that this is like very uh you know, feminist and pro women, but I think it's actually demeaning because you're, you know, undermining the value they really have. And you're, you know, promoting this fantasy that they don't actually they can never live up to. No mm -hmm. female, especially not these tiny little weight, waif like, you know, I, I'm like, it's just so incredulous, you know? Yeah. It, it is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It, it's the suspension of, of disbelief. Yes. Yeah. Really yeah. Tremendous. 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Hollywood's just well now everything's just pushing agendas. You know, yeah. it's like it's hard to watch anything that's come out. You know, in the last like ten years or at least right. last like four or five years. Like yeah. I love watching stuff from the eighties and nineties, uh, sure. maybe the early two thousands because it it wasn't so PC. It wasn't so. Um, it was definitely starting, but no, it was it's starting much worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, you watch some movies from the 80s now. I mean, just like old stuff, like old John's John Hughes movies. And it's like that would they would never do any of those jokes or say those things or yeah. anymore. Like everything is so everyone's so afraid. It goes back to the cancel culture, the self-censoring or the, you know, whatever some producer saying we can't have that in here or some DEI officer saying we we don't like the your use of this word and th this. It's true. Yeah. Uh, it's DEI officer totally and yeah yeah no that's yeah i i that stuff though that was was i think a little bit older and it, it you know that's why it bothers me so much because it wasn't even overt because it was before a lot of this stuff that you're seeing now is just so blatant i mean it's so in your face uh the agenda but that stuff i think you know, that was a lot of the, the big blockbuster films were doing that. And, and that really was not not that recent. And I think people thought that that was just, you know, they, they missed how much, how strong the messaging in that was. And I think it was actually a very uh, harmful messaging. Yeah. Oh, you're saying back in back in the 80s? No, not in the eighties, but uh, I'm talking about the the like very pro feminist. Like every her it, instead of heroes, it was all the heroines. Like a lot of these blockbuster films, and you know it was these. It, it was usually a very small female taking on like the monsters and all the men, and you know. The, well, I think that's, that's where that's we are now. Yeah, no, it's not that's, that new. I I was thinking of like aliens. You know, when mm -hmm. you were when you were talking about the you know the young little petite girl you yeah. know, kicking everyone's butt um but but it wasn't so like forced like it felt more like that, when you watched right in some ways i think that was more dangerous so hmm. the, and this is what i'm talking about with the conservative messaging versus the left that usually the left is so subtle and that's why it's so powerful because like yeah it didn't feel like that was in your face it felt like that was just you know oh we're just gonna root for like rooting for the underdog or rooting for, for the tiny girl, you know? And, but I think the messaging in that was actually very dangerous. I think that, you know, that leads to, I think it destroys relationships because it messes with the gender roles. It, it gives women this false expectation of what they're supposed to be able to do. And uh, like, like kill aliens, right? Like kill aliens. Exactly. <laughs> like, like they're like, we even, and we even encounter aliens. I mean, you know, I get that there's always this suspension of disbelief, but I think that when it's very subtle, it's much more effective. Now what they're doing is just so blatant. It's so in your face. I mean, you know, everything is trans and everything is right. I mean, it's kind of just absurd at this point. So you really see it. And with the exception of the people who are so far gone, like you asked me, you know, can we heal with people and i think there are people we can heal with there are people who are so incredibly programmed that I, i'm not saying you should ever give up on anybody i mean certainly keep asking them questions plant the seed have compassion for them if they're people you care about and you love then of course but there are people who i think they're pretty far gone you know that 
you're not going to change their mind tomorrow, you know? I think so, you, and I think they're wearing masks still. When you see them walking outside in their car uh, by themselves, they're still in their car wearing the mask by themselves. I to know. me, they, those are the people signaling I'm, I'm gone. Uh, like my, my brain has been character. baked. I'm not coming back. Like it's, non-player character, I think is what it is. Yeah. 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 It's uh, and it's sad because I, I just don't feel like anything could break those people out at this point. Yeah. I mean, after everything that's come to light, even the, the way the narrative has even been like, even have, you know, Biden saying, oh, the, you know, the pandemic's over on 60 Minutes. But right. these people are still like, I'm not taking chances. I'm wearing this dirty rag on my face. I'm wearing <laughs> yeah. this. I'm wearing this uh, surgical mask that's been dangling from my rear view mirror for three years. And I haven't, you <laughs> know. And I'm just breathing in these toxic fibers from China. I'm not taking any chances with uh, a virus. Right. Yeah. They're gone. And it, it's almost like, I guess, you know, it, it's kind of the, the great divide over the last couple of years yeah. is, you know, which showed us who our real friends were. I mean, that was the thing yeah. that was really scary, right? Is like we saw strangers, you know, that would you know, talk smack online or send us an e nasty email. But when you saw your own like close friends yes. disowning you, I mean, literally, there was a guy that played in my band for almost a decade, like just shy of 10 years. And mm -hmm. he told me he would not be in the same room with me ever again because of my refusal to wear a mask. And to this day, since that conversation, we have not been in a room together. Wow. And this is a cat that we played we toured together. We shared a bed. Like I woke up in hotel rooms with like his face on the other pillow and his drool next to me. You know what I mean? And this guy's like, I will never. You're so selfish. I will never be in the same room with you. Uh, and to the, and I was like, well, yeah, well, that's really going to put a damper on playing music together. Uh, you think? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it broke my heart. And in a lot of ways, I felt like... You know, there were other interpersonal issues I played, too. But like that was the, the main thing. It was like, wow, man, like you're literally going to trust what the television is telling you right. and what what these corrupt government officials are telling you over somebody that you've known for 10 yeah, years and you've exactly. shared all these close um, feelings with and experiences with. Mm -hmm. That's insane. And and so that's what this has showed us. It showed us what people will turn on us if the TV tells them to. And that's that's scary as hell. So scary. So that scary. those but we see how like horrible things have, have played out through history because of that. The power of the propaganda, the power of the messaging, the power of how people can be manipulated when they're put in a state of 24-7 fear and hysteria. Um, is to the point where they will turn on their own family members. They will. They have. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they've they've put, you know, in the horrible you know, I know uh, I've heard Matthias Desmond talk about this, but he gives this example of mass formation where a woman during like the Iranian revolution in the 70s, she literally tied the noose around her own son's neck on the scaffolding. You know, and it felt like it was her duty, not just turned him in, not just turned, you know, said the told the authorities where to find it, but put the noose around his neck. Wow. And, and that's the power. Uh, that's the power that the propaganda and the, the, the psychological control has. And now with these screens, it's it's constant. It's not just coming through a, a newspaper or a political rally or, um, you know, a radio show. 
or even a television, it's constant 24 seven that they're inundated with it. And you remember the early days of the scamdemic as I, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It. Uh, it was just constant, you know, like CNN, MSNBC, the death toll, this many deaths, this that many deaths, constant fear, constant uncertainty. And they broke people's brains and they put in that messaging. And some of those people have never left that, that place of fear. And those are the same people driving around with the masks on in their car three years later. And I don't know how, and they may be beyond reach, sadly. And that's kind of, I feel like they might be. I, I'm, as I said, I don't think it's, that there there may be hope for some of them, but a lot of them are kind of, and if they're, if there is a way to reach them, it, it's not happening immediately. You know, it's just there. It's going to take a while to deprogram all that they have just bought into. And it was just such certainty. You know, it's like, I think we, the way to be a, a human in search of truth and trying to get the truest picture of what's happening in the right. world is to start from a skeptical place. Like one, oh. you should, you should just be skeptical of uh, the media and skeptical of governments that have their their track history is just of lying and carrying yeah. out atrocities. So I don't know if you've seen this. So many people have sent this to me, but it's like this uh, <laughs> this video. I, I forgot what the uh, comedian's name is. I can probably find it. Uh, Ron Funches and. I'm so sorry, many people have sent it to me and he he's like so wait you don't believe in any conspiracy theories like i can't not all of them but any <laughs> he's like so you believe the government is never lied to you <laughs> like it's always telling the truth wow yeah and i i died it's so funny but so many people have sent it to me but yeah that, that's what it is it's like these people who really i mean I feel like you have to be a conspiracy theorist to buy that. You're you're believing that these people with all this power over, you know, and government literally means to control the mind, right? Government controls mind. Uh, yeah, but the, they would never lie to you, ever. Hey, I'm sorry, Courtney. We're kind of going in and out there. I was losing you. But you, I, I heard you... most of that. I don't know. Okay. Your audio was kind of. Oh, no. Okay. Sliding. It was like in and out. Maybe okay. that was our the okay. internet connection or maybe maybe the powers that be uh, they didn't like you, that they didn't like what you were saying they were like no well yes all conspiracy theories are bad but yeah, i have seen that that's uh that little clip i didn't know what that who that comedian was what uh but yeah that is hilarious and and spot on it's spot on like wait you don't believe in any <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah, these people, I mean, they have a lot of power, a lot of, and they control large bodies of people. You think that they would never lie to you? I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, let alone the people that we like on record being caught lying to you or pharmaceutical companies on record knowingly lying and having to pay, pay out millions and millions of dollars because they knowingly lied and knowingly harm people. Exactly. So, and you can yeah. definitely distrust them. I'd say start with being skeptical of them. Yes, for sure. And maybe, but, you know, give your friends that you've known your whole life the benefit of the doubt. Maybe maybe they're onto something when they say, hey, man, maybe just stop and think about this before. We've never worn face diapers before. We've we've managed to make it through some pretty severe, uh, you know, flu seasons and SARS and anthrax. And we didn't wear masks for that. Maybe maybe we should stop and pause and think for a second. Nah. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> that would be a good place to start. Yeah, when you're talking about uh, like the woman who tied the noose around her son's neck, I mean, that's literally what happened in Nazi Germany, and they did do it through fear. I mean, they, they, the, the narrative was the Jews were diseased; they were carrying tuberculosis, and that's why, you know, that was the justification. That's so well, yeah, and you know, my, I, I don't. Are you familiar with Kevin Jenkins? Have you ever crossed paths with Kevin? I don't think so. He's a, he's a just a amazing man and truth warrior. Oh. He ran oh. Urban Global Health Alliance, and. Oh. You okay. should definitely connect with them. I'll I'll help get you connected with him. Okay, but, um, thank you. Yeah, Kevin actually, you know, has gone. He was at a lot of the freedom rallies, and he, he gives a speech. You know, if you if you comply, you'll die. And I actually borrowed some of that for my song. Do not. Oh, comply. awesome! I love that. Yeah. But what Kevin did was, you know, he saw what was happening in New York. You know, he he lived uh, he lived up there, and during the height of all this, and you he would go into restaurants. And it, without a mask, without vax papers, and he was turned away. And he was telling him, you know, it's like here I am, a you know, uh, a middle-aged black man, and it's like you're telling me I'm unclean. We've gone a full circle back to Jim Crow and segregation. When you're telling a black man he's unclean, he can't come in here because he doesn't meet these health standards of nope. what you say he needs. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, it, it really was a new civil rights movement. I don't know how far, and, and it's still, I don't know, it still exists somewhere. I know uh, where they're at demanding papers, but for the most part, the mandates have been defeated, but that's because people like that have pushed back. Yeah. But it just, yeah, it recalls that same thing with what you're talking about. Like the Jews were unclean. The the blacks were unclean in yep. in the segregated, you know, in the segregated in the United States. They, they endured the Jim Crow. You can't come in here. No blacks allowed. Yep. Um, it, it's that whole and thing. And then of, during the whole BLM, that they were actually advocating for segregation again. I mean, there were college campuses who were like, no whites allowed, like only POC. I'm, wait, what? And they called themselves progressive? Like, you're literally regressing. I thought we we, we moved past this, right? Yeah, it's like they've, they've progressed so far that they've come back the other side. Uh, they're now, just regressive in general, but yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think that progressive is that they invert things. So they call themselves progressive because they're regressive. <laughs> well, yeah, and at some point it's like, what more are you progressing to accomplish? Right. You know, it's like now they, they have to find new categories and there's new things to divide us. You know, right. there's, there's new, now there's trans and now there's, you know, uh, all these different little categories to separate and divide people. It's, you know, the, intersectionality. the, the intersectionality, the cultural Marxism, yep. um, instead of it being the proletariat against the bourgeoisie. And maybe there's some merit to that. Maybe, you know, if we were all going with pitchforks and taking out the Bill Gates and the Klaus Schwab's and right, the Bezos right. of the world, maybe that wouldn't be that horrible of a thing. Right. But but now yeah. it's like, no, don't look at the the Jeff Bezos and the, the Mark Zuckerberg's and the Bill Gates. You should just look at like uh, cisgendered white men. You know, look at the guy that uh, works on a construction site or is a carpenter, you know, or a welder. That guy, he's the patriarchy. You got to hate him uh, and stratify the, you know, the hierarchy of oppression. And this person is this oppressed and this person. It's a cult, man. Wokeness. Wokeness is a cult. It's a it's a sick religion. It and its original sin is privilege. Right. Instead of it being born with original sin, it's born with your privilege that mm -hmm. you have to check 
that you have to atone for. And the irony is, as you just pointed out, I mean, we talk about who really has the privilege. It's the people who are who are pushing this nonsense. I mean, it is the Klaus Schwabs and the Bill Gates and the Bezos. And I mean, they actually have the privilege, the, the elite class who's setting these these rules, who's creating these, uh, you know, ESG scores and, you know, the uh, pushing the climate change agenda. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all about control. It all all the roads lead to isolating all of us, pitting mm-hmm. us against one each other, polarizing us while they just get more and more control and they just tighten that, you know, that the technocratic uh, panopticon. Right. That's what they're building. Each yep. of these things is building. And, and we've been giving so much of our willingly giving so much data to it with social media and with everything we do online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are movements, I, you know, uh, reignite the reignite democracy, Australia. I know she kind of went global now. It's like reignite democracy global or something. And they're okay. whole like international walkout movements to combat these things, you know, like using cash. Yeah, that's a right? huge pulling one. your money out of banks, you know, going at least with like a local credit union, but you yeah. using cash everywhere. So you're because they want to eliminate that. They want to push they us do. eventually to central bank cryptocurrency and then everything cashless payments yep they do yeah. that is the plan no i think using cash is a great way to fight against it for sure and yeah. it's also a great way to start the conversation you know for people who are unaware of what's going on oh why why are you using cash right i i think that that's a great conversation starter with a lot of these uh, places because there are a lot of the corporations are really trying already i know look i i keep bringing it up but starbucks is one of them you know they where they're not everywhere but a lot of their branches are saying no cash allowed which you know. should be illegal right yeah it, it, it is illegal it says that it's legal tender right yeah but there's like something and i've like looked it up and uh it's you know it's either like the treasury or you know, of course, the Federal Reserve is not a government body, but whatever the, one of these uh, things that rules over fiduciary uh, things in the country and commerce says, like, there's no law preventing it, preventing a business from refusing to take cash. Um, and that's how they get away with it. I mean, there's a there's a local burger joint in my town and it's cash only or I mean, it's not cash only. It's only cards Hard, and yeah. Apple Pay. Right. It's only like it. it's only digital transactions. Which is insane. You talk about privilege, right? It's like, think about the homeless guy that maybe got five bucks during the day and uh, he wants to go in and buy a burger. Well, he can't unless he sets up a bank account, has a credit card or has Apple Pay. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're saying how inclusive they are. You're literally discriminating the people you are purporting to help and care about. Insanity. It's absolute insanity. Well, do, what do you think about the future? What do you think the hope is for the future? Um, man, that is, uh, I think, I think the hope is that a lot of people over the last few years learned who the who the real friends are. If they lost friends, they connected with, uh, mm-hmm. they made new friends, new new allegiances. Yes. Yeah, you um, find your people, your tribe. Absolutely. I think that's and I good. hope. Yeah, I hope that that those uh, that will continue to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I just wish that people will see through the uh, the circus that is politics 
and the conquer and divide, you know, now is the newest thing is Trump running again. And it's like just dividing the people that are aligned on, you know, that are not in the woke leftist uh, blue team camp. Um, and, oh, yeah. The whole Trump DeSantis thing is definitely to divide. Totally to divide. And I think Trump is a complete charlatan personally. Uh, I It's like this is the guy that. You know, Hillary didn't get locked up. We got locked up. He was the one that was the sitting president during the lockdowns, during the scandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a guy that was pushing those injections uh, that takes credit for it, that brags about Operation Warp Speed. And then you, you know, you also have um, the January 6th guys. I mean, these are his own supporters that came to rally for him. And uh, some of them are sitting in jail for it's been almost two years. And they haven't gone to trial and they're sitting in prison. Um, and to my knowledge, he hasn't lifted a finger to help them or donate anything to help them to his own supporters. Really? That was his swan song. To my knowledge, maybe somebody could, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, to my knowledge. I'll look so into anyway, that. that. That would be pretty disconcerting to hear. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody would excuse it away saying, well, he can't be seen as, you know, supporting these people, these criminals, these vandals. It's like, Whatever. I, I just think that we gotta we have to stop putting our faith into uh politicians. We have yeah, well, to start I agree with that. We we have to start on a community level. We have to connect with people or connect with our neighbors, mm-hmm. um build like intentional communities, grow our own food, pay with cash, strengthen the bonds of the with the people that we've connected with that um are just on the core values of of, of freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. uh bodily autonomy medical freedom yeah um personal choice like we need to connect those are stronger values than um you know than all the the little things that divide us yeah. uh and so yeah just kind of see through the the divisive tactics and connect with each other as humans again yeah well i love and that. hopefully that's where the hope lies and um yeah, I'm hopeful. You know, love, empathy. Humanity has gone through some really dark periods in the past, yeah. and we've gotten through it. It wasn't without a you know a, a tremendous toll, but we still made it through. And I think sure. there's a lot of good people out there. There's a lot of people doing good things, mm-hmm. and um, keep speaking out. And I think you know that it'll create a tidal wave and eventually. Um, I'd like to think truth wins out in the end. Yeah, I think so too. I hope so for sure. Well, well, thank you so much. If you have anything else you want to add, please do. And of course, tell everybody where they can find you, find your music. Uh, yeah, just that you can find us. Uh, our website's faithlesstown.com. We're on all the social medias uh, at faithlesstown. You please, if, you know, please check out our music, support us. You can buy our album on Bandcamp, on iTunes, all that stuff. We're on Rumble and Gitter and Odyssey. And we've uh, got a new record coming out in March, Into the Light Volume 2. And we're super stoked. And hopefully I'll see you in Nashville, Courtney, uh, in the new year for a show. Yay! I can't wait. Awesome. Well, thank you. This 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.